Have you ever wondered about the Virgin Mary? I, I think for a lot of us, when we read the, the stories about Christmas and we read about Mary, our attention t- tends to go to things like her age, which was probably quite young. By, by our standards, she would have been hardly more than a girl um, uh, with, with a comparison to modern standards. We don't know that for sure, but certainly that would have been very typical in her culture. Or, or maybe we think about the, the responsibilities she took on, particularly in, in light of her age. We would think that's a lot of responsibility to take on to, to, uh, to face the, the pain of, of giving birth to a son who is doomed to die. Um, in, in chapter two of Luke's biography of Jesus, we read about a man named Simon who saw, saw them at the temple together and said to Mary that her, her, um, her, heart would be pierced by a sword. Um, and we know that that was what Mary had to deal with in her life. She she was literally at the foot of the cross watching her son die. So we know she had the responsibility of bearing so much pain in her life. And we also think about the, the social stigma she would have faced because in her culture, she would have been seen as an unwed mother, even though she was um, uh, Engaged to Joseph, she would have been seen as an unwed mother. And so we think about the gossip and the, the um, uh, disapproval and, and maybe worse that she would have faced from people in her community. And so I think we think about that a lot. But do we actually think about her virginity? Um, in our, in our reading today, we read, um, we read about, uh, Mary as follows. Uh, Luke tells us this. He says, when Elizabeth, we heard about Elizabeth last week, and if you, if you didn't catch that, you can uh, listen online. But um, when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who is engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. So we hear uh, right up front when, when she's introduced to us that she is a virgin. And then as if we, we might have forgotten or we, we might not have heard him correctly, in the next sentence, he repeats it. He says the virgin's name was Mary. So twice, before we even learn her name, we find out that this woman is a virgin. And Gabriel comes to her and he says this. He says, when the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. So he greets her. And she is confused by these words and wondered what kind of what kind of greeting this might be. And the 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 language here is strong language. She's she's confused in a in a not pleasant way. Some some translations say that she's agitated or disturbed. And so she's she's upset to hear this. And the angel says, like he said to Zechariah in the reading we looked at last week, the angel says, Don't be afraid. He says, nothing to worry about here. And he goes on to say, God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, referring to King David, who who was uh, the king of Israel a, hundred, uh, a thousand years ago. And um, he will rule over David's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Unlike David, who has been gone for a thousand years at this point, and um, uh, unlike his kingdom, which almost immediately uh, splintered into two different fragments, and then each of them was was soon uh, uh, conquered by their neighbors, uh, this kingdom will have no end, and he will rule over the kingdoms forever. 
So in just a handful of verses, uh, Luke tells us, uh, uh, records the message of the angel explaining who Jesus is and his significance in the, the work that God is doing in salvation. So, so the angel tells us these things and we might think, well, okay, well, if Joseph is, Mary, is, is, a, is a relative of King David, a very distant relative, but okay, he's, he's uh, in the line of David, and if he's engaged to Mary, maybe what Gabriel's referring to is the fact that after they get married, they will have a baby, just an ordinary human baby. But for whatever reason, Mary knows that that's not what Gabriel's talking about. She says to the angel, how will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? So three times in just a handful of words, whatever this is, two paragraphs, uh, in, in just a handful of words, we've heard not only all this information about Jesus, but we've also heard three times that Mary is a virgin. And it's not just in Luke's biography. If we look at Matt's biography, we will be looking at Matt's biography next week, um, but we will find there that even though Matt isn't really all that interested in Mary, he takes time to point out that she is a virgin. Matthew's mainly focused on Joseph, Mary's fiancé. But even there, he mentions that Mary is a virgin. Now, there are two other biographies of Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, there's, there's the biography, the, the four biographies are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark and John are silent about Mary's uh, virginity, but they're silent about every aspect of Jesus' birth. They, they begin dealing with the story of Jesus after he is an adult. So, so out of the two stories in the New Testament that recount anything about Jesus' birth, 100% of them mention that Mary was a virgin. And not just the, the New Testament. This is something the early church affirmed. We read in the, the, the Nicene Creed, which was from about the middle of the, the 4th century, the, the early church recorded uh, the Nicene Creed, and in it it says that he was, he, Jesus, was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. And in the Apostles' Creed, which goes back um, not quite as far, although some parts may be older, um, the Apostles' Creed says that he was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. So it talks about Jesus as quickly as that. And if we think about all the things they didn't mention, they didn't mention teaching in parables or... or uh, uh, Performing miracles. They, they didn't mention calling the disciples. They didn't mention, uh, cleansing the temple or, or his temptation or his, uh, transfiguration or, uh, uh, the, the interactions between, uh, tax collectors and Jesus. We don't hear any of that stuff in the, the Apostles' Creed. Instead, we go straight from cradle to grave as quickly as you can recite the words. And even there, even in this most abbreviated account of Jesus' life, they mention that he was born to a virgin. So why? Why why do they do this? Because today it's mostly overlooked or, or even downplayed. It seems like something that is maybe maybe something we shouldn't mention. That it's that um and, and sometimes maybe the reason we don't do that is out of a sense of delicacy. Although I think as society becomes uh, more 
um, uh, uh, unrefined, uh, less less a given to Victorian sensibilities. I think we're finding that people are more comfortable talking about sex. So I don't think that that's the issue so much. I think there are other things that are in play. Uh, oftentimes people think, well, this this whole doctrine is just a borrowing. It's kind of a fanciful uh, Christian updating of the stories that were in circulation from the neighboring cultures, stories about demigods, the the human or half human offspring of of a of a divine figure and a mortal um, human. And so we read about stories about you know in the in the ancient Greeks they told stories about a Helen of Troy, for example, who was the daughter of the the god Zeus and the mortal woman Leda. So there are stories like that. And so sometimes I think Christians look at uh, the the stories about Mary and they say, well, this is just kind of a, a Christian updating or a Christian gloss on one of those uh, historic stories. Uh, and other times, I think Christians look at uh, the stories of the virgin birth and they say, well, this is just kind of a an odd remnant of a of a distant patriarchal society where where virginity was prized and and had a price put upon it and things like that we just look at it as something that's not important and yet the church affirmed it so strongly and it is found in the new testament in 100% of the accounts it's it's something that Luke stresses so much why why is the virginity of Mary so important well we can read on and see what Gabriel has to say Mary asked, how will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? And Gabriel answers, the Holy Spirit will come over you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, I don't know if Mary got much out of that. To me, it sounds like, you know, if I call up my my internet provider and I say, why is my network down? And they tell me, you know, something about border routers and uh, uh, root certificates and things like that. It's like, I, I don't know if people are expected to get anything out of that. I think what he's really saying is God understands human biology. In fact, God invented human biology. God knows where babies come from, Mary. Uh, God even knows where the very first baby came from. God knows, um, uh, God knows where Adam came from and Adam was never a baby. God even knows if Adam has a belly button. God knows all these things, Mary. Don't you worry about that. But he goes on. He says he will be called God's son. Well, that makes sense. But he also says the one to, who is to be born will be holy. What does he mean by holy? What is what is the significance of being holy? Well, holy means to be different. Holy means to be uh, um not the usual way, and certainly this this uh, uh, a virgin birth would be would be holy in that sense. Um, he would he would be he would be different. He would be set apart. He would be marked off. He would be uh, socially distant. That there would be something about him that would be completely different from the usual way. And um, and the reason for that is that Jesus is a revelation. That Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. If we think about, if we think about the, the way God is, God created everything there is, the, the, the earth and the sky, the, the, the stars and the planets and the galaxies. God created everything there is as far as, as there is. God created time itself. And God exists outside that. God made it the way we might make something on a table. God made it. And 
And we can't imagine what that might be outside creation because all we understand is creation. And so anything we know about God has to come from outside. God has to reveal it to us. And what we as Christians believe is that Jesus is the perfect revelation, that there are other revelations, that God reveals himself. In, he, he put his fingerprints in nature so we can, we can see that there are, uh, that the glory of God shines through creation. We also believe that God speaks through the prophets and through the, the Holy Scriptures. But we believe that Jesus is the perfect uh, and complete revelation of God, that there's nothing we need to know about God that Jesus doesn't reveal. We heard a couple of weeks ago about how Jesus is the icon or the image of the invisible God. So we believe that. But at the same time, that revelation has to come from outside. It is the nature of revelation that it comes from outside. It comes from beyond creation. And because of that, that means it is bounded. Like every other miracle that comes from outside of creation, it is bounded by our world of time and space. That Jesus, as, as the revelation of God in human form, when, when, when the Word takes on flesh and dwells among us, that revelation has a beginning and an end. That, that the beginning is is the mystery of the virgin birth. And the end is the mystery of the resurrection and, and Christ's ascension into heaven. Now, we believe that, as, as the angel says, that, that his, that, that he will rule forever. So he goes on forever and his kingdom goes on forever, but it is no longer visible to us. Since he ascended to heaven, the revelation of Jesus and his, and his kingdom is, is, um, is over until he, until the end of the age when he returns. So his revelation, his, his incarnation is revealed to us as having a beginning and an end. And the, the mystery of the virgin birth is like the mystery of the, the, uh, the resurrection and the ascension that we can go up to that edge and we can look at the mystery and wonder what is beyond it. But it is, it is a fruitless exercise. We will not find anything when we look there because this revelation has come from outside. There is nothing for us to know, uh, beyond what God has revealed in the revelation. So we can look and we can wonder and we can speculate about the, the biochemical processes that happened in Mary's wombs where the, the embryo becomes a baby growing inside of her or we can wonder about the tomb. We can wonder about what are the biochemical changes that happen when a dead body is brought back to life or brought to new life, raised to new life. We can wonder about these things, but there is a mystery. And we will never know because the revelation is not something that we can discover. There's not something over here that we could see if we just looked hard enough. The whole revelation has come from outside. And because of that, it is it is a phenomenon. It is a thing that is seen. That that the the nature of a revelation is it has a beginning and an end, and there is nothing for us to see beyond its boundaries. And when Gabriel says this, when Gabriel reminds uh, Mary that God knows all about uh, where babies come from and knows about um, and and therefore that this this child would be called God's son, and when he reminds her that he will be holy, Mary says. Oh, okay. All right. I get that. I, I remember now that I am not God's confidant. I'm not God's advisor. I'm not going to give God any advice about this. I am God's servant. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. 
and then the angel left her. So that's the that's the 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 story of uh, the Annunciation, where where um, the angel tells Mary that she will have this child, and the significance of it is that we are in the same position, that we are dependent on God's revelation, that that uh, what we know comes from outside, and we can speculate all we want, but ultimately we will be faced with mysteries. And when we are, we can answer as Mary did. We can say, I am not the Lord's advisor. I am not the Lord's confidant. I am his servant. And we can do what God calls us to do. There are a couple of implications here that I think are worth worth bringing forward, and the first is that is that the the nature of the incarnation is that it raises everything it touches. That Christ came down to us so that He could bring us up to God. That that's something that we believe that that God has has hallowed, God has sanctified this world by entering into it in His in, incarnation. And so, necessarily, that begins with Mary. And this is why so many Christians around the world, the Orthodox Christians and Catholic Christians, have such a high regard for for Mary. If anything, Protestant Christians probably don't give Mary enough respect. We don't appreciate just how much she was sanctified by what God did in her. And more than that, what God did in women because of her, that that God elevated the status of women. And, and this is something that the history of the church reflects, is that Christians came to respect women more than the, the cultures around them did, that women women acquired a higher status in Christianity than they had known in the, the neighboring cultures of that world. In the Roman world, for example, it was actually illegal to be unmarried, that by the time a girl grew to a certain age, she had to find a husband or a husband had to be found for her. And if she was widowed, she only had so long before she had to remarry. That these were, these were not simply uh, social guidelines. There was actually a law that required this and she would face legal penalties if she wasn't married. But Christians looked at the story of Mary and they realized that God, God honors women. Uh, Gabriel did not go to Joseph and say, I've got something to tell you about your fiance. God did, Gabriel did not go to Mary's father and say, I've got something to inform you about your daughter. He didn't get permission from them. He went straight to Mary. And Christians looked at that and they said, we need to do the same thing. Now, have, 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 have men relinquished the authority that they were used to over women the way that they, that the way that this passage teaches us? Uh, I'm sure not. But it's something we are working on, and it's something that we have we have been working on for two thousand years with at least some success. So the the status of women has been elevated, and uh, while I'm sure there is more work to do, this is something we can look back and say it is because of the story of the Virgin Mary. The other thing, the other implication, is simply that that we need to re- realize that while Jesus reveals God perfectly, Jesus reveals a God who is more than our friend. Jesus is our friend. He said so himself. He said, you are not merely my servants. Jesus said, I have called you friends. But Jesus reminds us, God, Jesus reveals a God who is more 
than simply a man. Jesus, Jesus reveals that, that in his incarnation, Jesus appears as a man and he accurately reflects God, but there is so much more to God than what we see in his incarnation. That God is, has, has hidden purposes and, and, um, has, has intentions that we are not privy to. We are his servants. And so we can, we can, uh, say to ourselves, perhaps I should look at what Mary said after she heard this. Uh, if we read down a few, a few verses in Luke's biography, we read that Mary went to her, her kinswoman Elizabeth, and Elizabeth greeted her, and Mary said to Elizabeth this, she said, with all my heart I glorify the Lord. In the old language of the King James Bible, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. She said, sometimes I catch myself thinking too small. I, I bring God down to my scale. I imagine a God who is, who is my size, a God whose, whose purposes and, and uh, actions I can understand. But when I do that, I expand. I remember there is so much more to God than, than what I'm aware of. There is so much more to God's purposes and the work of God in the world that, that I magnify the Lord. And we can do the same thing. We can magnify the Lord like Mary to remember that we are God's servants, not his advisors. But we can remember also this. God has looked with favor on the low status of his servants and the mighty one has done great things for us. Let's pray. Loving God, we we are so comfortable with the idea of Jesus as revealing you, we, we think that we can imagine everything there is to know about you by looking at Jesus, realizing that, that as John tells us in his biography, that the whole, the whole world could not contain all the information there is to say about Jesus. Lord, when, when our conceptions of you are limited by our conceptions of Jesus, help us to remember that, that our picture of Jesus is, is smaller than the reality and help us to remember therefore that you are a greater and, and more magnificent God than we can, we can appreciate. Help us to see him as revealing you accurately, but, but showing you on a scale that, that our minds are attuned to and help us to expand our vision of you, to help us to expand our imaginations, to remember, um, that you, you are beyond our ability to comprehend. Help us to, to magnify you with all our soul. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.